Missing in Missouri is an investigative podcast dedicated to finding as much information as we can in missing person cases and ultimately find the truth. So, welcome to episode 10. 10 episodes in. I definitely didn't think we'd make 10. I did not think we were going to get 10 episodes, to be honest. At the very beginning, if you would have told me 10 episodes, I would have said, really? But we're here. 10 episodes. Congratulations. Congrats as well. Thank you. Um, A little bit of an update. So, this past week, last week, we got a phone call. And I did, I did not take the phone call. You actually took the phone call. So I'm going to let you discuss it a little bit. Yeah. So last week, um, got a phone call by someone named Sonova Cantrell, who is Southwest Missouri's number one true crime writer. She has her own blog called Sonova Inc., true crime blog of Sonova Cantrell. And she also has a YouTube page where she uploads videos as well. And she had contacted us because she had listened to the podcast. Um, Somebody had contacted her about it. So she listened to it and she wanted to call to see if, one, if it was okay to reference the podcast. She wanted to get the permission for that. And then also if it was okay for her to help promote the podcast on her blog. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. So we talked a little bit and she actually wrote a a post about Dana a while back, but whenever I went and looked at the video that she had posted last Friday, you know, she said that she was having, and even whenever we talked, she said she was having a hard time coming up with even just 500 words about Dana. So, you know, we had talked and she had said there's more information out there now because more people are talking. And she went ahead and she updated the article. She released a video. And we have the article linked on our Facebook page. We had posted it. And then there is also a link to the YouTube video. But we will also, in case some listeners aren't on our Facebook page, which if you're not, you should be. Totally. We will also post those links in the description of this episode. Now, I did watch the YouTube video. Yeah. That was really good. It's about 18 minutes long. Uh, it gives a whole overview of the Dana Bruce investigation. She is very well, very, very well, well spoken. Yeah. And she, you know, she's very good at writing because I read that article as well. And that was amazing. Yeah, it really was. She really knows her stuff like she is really awesome and she's got quite an extensive resume with you said because she works as a editor yeah she is works as a production editor of true crime case files magazine she also authored unorganized crime which i'm just gonna read straight from her about okay on her her blog Unorganized Crime, a biography of the ex-gangster Sidney Hurd of Chicago, Illinois. This thrilling tale of con games, bank robbery, and mayhem has recently been endorsed by a retired FBI agent. 
Her best-selling series, Seriously Stupid Criminals, is a fan favorite in both paperback and ebook formats. Her latest ebook, Grim Justice, tells the story of a judge and his wife retired in Palm Beach, Florida in 1955. Her first case files book, Snatched, was released on New Year's Day. I love her blog, and so I'm now following her. Uh, so you can find her at Sonova Inc. You can find her on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I mean, she she is really awesome. It sounds like it. We did post the article to Facebook on our yes. Facebook. Yes, we did. And just to let everybody know out there, it did create quite a discussion on Facebook. We're not going to read all the comments. Actually, we're not going to read any of the comments. But you should definitely go in and check it out. Absolutely. And there are a few other posts that we had made that were specifically geared towards Dana that also created a lot of conversation. It did create a lot of discussion, and that's exactly what we need to, you know, find out new things about Dana's disappearance. And... So go in there, check it out, make a comment, ask us questions. We like when when uh, we are engaged. Um, if you don't want to, that's fine. Read them. And if you just, you know, have comments you want to make, make them. Yeah. Also, check us out on Facebook yeah. and review the podcast. Definitely. Definitely. You and know? on iTunes. Review us on iTunes as well. iTunes as well. I think she did an amazing job. I did too. I still can't believe we are 10 episodes in now. I know. <laughs> what was on today's agenda? Today's episode is going to consist of an interview that I did with Emily, who is one of Dana's sisters, daughter of Rebecca. And so we're going to play a bit of that. Now, this this Emily, she had a close relationship with Dana? Yeah. They were close? Yeah. Okay, and we'll find that out. I mean, there's a lot in here, you know, and some of it you'll hear is also what you heard in Rebecca's, but I think that it's important to know that, you know, it's not just Rebecca saying it, it's not just Sherry saying it, you know. The stories are, are, are pretty much almost the same. Yeah. From different viewpoints. So this in this interview, she says a lot about Dana that we've heard. So it's really driving home of what kind of person Dana was and that Dana did have. Have family. Have family. And it's not just one-sided. There's, well, well there's, there's different sides to every story. Yes. And that's what we're trying to tell. Um, we'd like to try and get all sides. I think that's what we've always strived to do, to get all sides of the story and not just make it about one side, you know, and there's only, there's only so much we can do to help get the other sides of the story out there. And I think that's about, about does it. Yeah. You can only help a person that wants to be helped. Exactly. So, we'll play it for you and then... We'll talk to you soon.
Hello. Hi, is this Emily? Yes, it is. Hi, Hi. this is Morgan. Hi, it's nice to talk to you. It's very nice to talk to you. I just want to thank you so much for contacting us. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, my mom had told me that uh, that you had spoken with um, with a friend of Dana's, and uh, and she had reached out to my mom, and um, you know, I, we we didn't even know that y'all were were doing this, <laughs> um, you know, and I, I know that y'all started in July, and so um, I, I'm really glad that you know, that we are now in contact with you and can kind of um, hopefully contribute to, um, you know, some of some of the story and just kind of help, you know, piece things together and, um, and more than anything, you know, hopefully come to the truth. Zach actually was contacted by... Yes. And whenever she told us a little bit about Dana before she met Nathan, we were... Honestly, we were shocked, and we um, we were like, "Oh my gosh, what did we just hit?" Right? Yeah. No, you know, I um, I used to have a Facebook page for Dana, and I had a MySpace page too, which of course MySpace is pretty much obsolete now. You can still get on there, but I mean, it's pretty limited. Um, and then you know, I had a Facebook page that really did everything they could to make us out to be almost attention hungry, I think. Um, and, and like, we really didn't actually care about her, but we were just, um, just trying to be nosy and, and, you know, interfere and whatnot. Um, and that, you know, that's not the case. Um, Dana, Dana would have never even come to Missouri had it not been for us because she grew up in Oklahoma. And that's actually where we met Dana and her dad. My mom started dating him, you know, back in like, let's say it was in like 95, um, when, you know, when we first met her. And it was pretty soon after that um, she moved in. He, he actually got her out of foster care um, because he, he was actually in prison. And um, after he got out of prison, he fought to get her back. And he did. He got custody of her again. And, um, and, I mean, she she moved in with us pretty soon after that. So, um, really, I mean, she almost came directly from foster care to our house. And and she, you know, she lived with us. Um, so, yeah, my mom um, just moved the whole family back to Missouri. So that, um, and, of course, she took Dana. Her dad was in, I, I want to say that he was in a facility in, like, Oklahoma City at the time when we left. I want to say it was like a rehab, but it's been so long ago, I, I can't say for sure. You know, and, and that's the thing. All of this happened a really long time ago. And so I've been racking my brain trying to refresh my memory over the last, you know, couple of days. And, um, you know, I, uh, if I'm being completely honest, I, you know, I kind of had to put a lot of it out of my mind just to be able to function on a daily basis. Um, and I know that, that that probably doesn't sound very good, but um, the effect that it had on us, it, I just, it, it, it could have destroyed me if I, if I let it. Um, I was in a very uh, dark place before I, before I left Missouri. I got to where I couldn't sleep at night. I got to where I couldn't sleep at night at all. I 
I only slept during the day because I was scared. That um, it really did cause some PTSD for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, for a long time, uh, we worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, day and night. You know, there for a while, I was only getting, you know, a couple hours of sleep because when I wasn't sleeping, I was working on trying to find answers, but we kept getting shut down. Every little corner, we would get shut down. And because we were not the biological family, everyone kept telling us, you are not I know um, whenever we were talking a little bit yesterday, you had mentioned uh-huh. that you guys received a lot of threats and things like that. What kind, like, were they verbal threats? Were they, like, Facebook, it, it, email? So we were having them come in from other people, <laughs> um, kind of like messages, you know, relayed from outside of town <laughs> um, that we needed to leave it alone. Um, uh, there for a while he was coming over to our house um, and uh, at first he seemed like, you know, he was actually trying to help and um, then it just got really weird and he had made uh, some comments to us that honestly felt more like a threat than it did, um, you know, a warning pretty much told us, you know, we needed to quit while we were ahead, that we were going to get hurt. But it really felt more like a threat um, than anything. He was, for a fact, at Malone's that night because he was recording because it was like their anniversary or something. And so he was out there with the video recorder. And uh, I would assume that he probably stayed most of the night considering that he was covering it. I don't know that for sure, but I just, I have my questions about him, especially because um, he did try to put himself in the situation, you know, and it kind of made me, kind of makes me just wonder if he wasn't just trying to get close to find out what we knew, and, you know, I, obviously, I don't know for sure, I just have a weird feeling about the guy, and uh, that's, as far as that goes. I don't even know if the police ever questioned him. Um, I, I think that it would be smart <laughs> for the police to question him, you know, but um, I, I don't know that anybody has. And, um, but yeah, so that's, um, that's that. And then, uh, I'm sorry, I just got off a tangent when you would ask me about the threats that we were receiving. Oh, um, you're fine. I, my sister um, also had received messages from um, people telling telling her to tell us to back off, uh, and that there were just there were several several instances like that. Um, honestly, my mom has a much better memory of all of this than I do, um, and she would be better to answer that question really. Um, I just, I just remember it being a very tense time and, uh, I know that we didn't feel safe, you know, and the more that we dug, um, the scarier it became, um, and it, 
I don't know. I just, it, it's hard to explain, but it was just, it was the tension. It was so thick. You cut it with a knife, you know, um, which we're from, you know, a different part of the Dahlia. We weren't from that area. And so we don't get a lot of the information that other people get. We eventually get it through the grapevine, <laughs> you know, but, um, <laughs> Obviously, you know, with not being a part of that crowd, we're not going to have as much um, actual information or knowledge as some of the people that do live there and hear what's going on. And there were so many rumors circulating. I mean, it was ridiculous, the amount of rumors that were circulating. And I, and I do believe that the police did follow up on... Um, several of them to begin with, and I think that they, I don't, I don't know if they got burnt out, as they stopped caring, you know, I, I believe that, but I, you know, I mean, I, I think that it, it could even be more than that, I, I uh, there's definitely a lot of police misconduct. I know last night, your mom was telling, was telling Zach about how you guys had went to the police station and they kind of like really shut you down hard when you went. Yeah. So, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of contact, uh, after, after she really got involved, um, over there in that world. Um, but, uh, um, anyway, so we ended up, you know, we tried to follow up with the police. We went to um, the police department. We sat down with Detective Hendricks and, and Chief Dagonia, and we, you know, asked if if they ever if there was any follow up. And Chief Dagonia said, "Why should we? But it's all just a bunch of bullshit and rumors." I feel I I can't. I don't even know how to tell you or what to tell you about how I feel because so was that kind of your guys's decision like we can't go to the police we can't trust them we can't rely on them absolutely we definitely lost all confidence in them you know I mean at the very least there's grievous misconduct and I mean so what does that mean the worst is you know, is there corruption? Um, it it truly feels like they have actively tried not to get to the bottom of it. They've actively kept active search out of Fidelian, out of Pedestrian. They've actively kept the FBI out of Fidelia and Pedestrian. I they don't talk <laughs> of all of this for a month. I called the FBI, I don't know how many times, and they told me, they said, all that has to happen is they ha- they just have to request for us to come in. If they request for us to come in and help, we'll do it. Well, Sonia was reported to have uh, made a statement in the newspaper that if the FBI or that that they had asked 
the FBI to come in. But they, they declined. That's not true. As a matter of fact, I spoke with an FBI agent after that article. And I asked him about it, and he said that is not true. He even had me send him a copy of, of the article. I never heard anything back from him, which, I mean, doesn't say much to me because not his, you know, his responsibility to get back to me. But um, it was all just very, very bizarre, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, I don't even know what to call it. I know, nightmare. I know it's been a really long time, but do you by chance remember what that agent's name was? I wish I did. My mom has to do paperwork. And I, I kept down so many notes at that time. And, uh, but I, I do believe that the name is probably in there somewhere. So I, I will search. I will have her search. And I'll do my best to try to find it. Because, it, yeah, it would be awesome to be able to talk to them for sure. Definitely. Um, last that I heard, and this, I heard this, I don't know, several months ago, that, um, the Highway Patrol has actually taken over in this case. I don't know if that's true or not. But that's that the last thing that I heard. To my knowledge, they have. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Whenever the, how do you pronounce his name? Chief Dagonia? Uh-huh, Chief Dagonia. Whenever he said to you guys about, you know, why would we, why would we do this or that? Um, yeah. Was this before or after you had gotten a hold of the Texas EquiSearch and all that? It was before. Before? Mm-hmm. Um, I started trying to contact EquiSearch, and I want to say that it was, like, close to November, maybe, like, towards the end of October, um, and they were scheduled to come. Um, it was, like, December 3rd or something like that. There's actually an article a newspaper article um, that was written up for the Democrat talking about how the search was going to come in and how um, how they were, at least were going to see how the search could be a service. And then, next thing you know, I'm having experts tell me that they can't come in because the police say no. Wow. So- and, and their excuse was because it might interfere with our investigation. I can't imagine how frustrating that must have been. You know, not only were we saying, you know, honestly what we believe, you know, getting away with murder, but we also saw the police department, they treated us like crap, and they didn't, they did not take anything that we had to say seriously. And they cut us off from being able to know anything. They stopped telling us. They, I mean, we we became just outsiders. I mean, we, you know, we were getting information through third parties because they wouldn't tell us anything. And and, and we didn't trust them at that point anyway, you know. Um, and then every time that we would try to accomplish something, another door would be shut in our face, you know. And, uh. It was just months and months of that. And, you know, we have our theories of 
what may have happened, and, and I know that there are other theories about other men that could have done it. I know one. Um, there is a that was going around saying that he had murdered her mom, and I know was the suspect. I, I don't know. I think that he, I think that he may have just been a good person to point the finger at. Um, we actually, my family and I believe that she probably never even went back to babysitter. We don't think that's true. She never made it back. And uh, I believe that the babysitter was actually cousin. For a long time, we were told it was um, last that we were told it was cousin. So I know a lot of rumors, a lot of hearsay. Um, but if that is true, um, I'm sure that you know that used to be Dana's best friend. Um, and then Nathan cheated on Dana with and it, you know, it broke their relationship up and caused, you know, a huge rift with the entire family and Dana. You know, so like, like I had told you, you know, um, we have our theories about but I am not so close-minded to immediately say it has to be them. There's no way it could be anybody else. Because the truth is we don't know. And I feel like, you know, if I'm too biased, then it gets in the way of getting justice for Dana. And she deserves the truth to be found out. No matter who it is. As much as I don't like um, as much as I believe it was him, I pray to God that it's not. I really, I really hope it's not him. There's so much that points to him, though. The fact that he was incredibly abusive to Dana. Um, so the last time that we saw Dana was in September. It was at the end of September, and uh, she had called my mom asking for help. She needed groceries and diapers uh, because had broken into her apartment, uh, broke a window out of her apartment, stole all of her money. Um, so she she couldn't feed her kids. She didn't even have diapers. So my mom and I, we went over there and you know, we took her several things, helped her put it away. And you know, her apartment was pretty clean. Um, the apartment was definitely... You know, the actual building was awful, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, you could tell that she, she tried, you know, and make a appropriate living space for her children, you know. Um, anyway, uh, she, she was so upset, and she said, she told us about how Nathan cheated on her with and that, you know, they broke up, and um, she's all on her own now, and he stole her money, and she was being evicted out of her apartment because he broke the window, and he was going to be held responsible, but they were still evicting her, and she didn't have any, anywhere to go. Um, she didn't have any money, she didn't have any food, um, and no help from anybody over there. So, of course, we, we helped her, you know, we did what we could, and then we... we 
spoke to her about, you know, trying to help her find um, a new place to live, um, trying to find some assistance to help her with that. Um, neither of us had any money to really be able to help her. And, um, you know, she couldn't bring her home. She definitely would have if she could have, but there's no way that she could have done that. And I remember leaving that day, uh, and my mom and I both, we, you know, we had said, if we don't give this girl some help, serious help, she's going to die. She was skin and bone. And you could see her bones through her skin, literally. She, her complexion was almost gray. She, her clothes were falling off of her. And, you know, she was so stressed, too. I mean, she just, she seemed almost, like, hopeless. She was just, she was in a really low place that day. We went back the next day to try to take her, the paperwork that we were able to gather up from um, a couple different places around town that helped. Um, there's a place over by the food pantry that hands out vouchers for um, diapers and that kind of thing, and they'll pay like first month's rent if you need it. And kind of, we were trying to help her get qualified for that. Um, she wasn't there; she wasn't at her apartment. So we left the paperwork. My mom, I believe my mom might have seen that, but I had broken my arm the day after we went to see her. And so I, I didn't go back with her. I wish I would have. I wish that I would have went. Because maybe I could have seen I remember sitting there talking to her on her front porch. I remember Dana telling me that she just wishes that we could all go back home. Home meaning Oklahoma is where we grew up. She just wished that we could just go back to how things used to be. Wow. So I did that. <laughs> Several years ago, <laughs> um, I came back home. I remember the first night in my apartment uh, that I had rented, uh, thinking, you know, I, I even remember saying out loud, okay, Dana, I'm here. What's that? You know, what do I do? And I know it might sound crazy, but I just could not be in that town anymore. I could not live in the same place where... There was no justice for her. And people just stopped caring. You know, it's a big deal for months or so. You know, after a while, people uh, moved out, you know. And uh, it definitely happened with Dana. Maybe even quicker with Dana because, because people did know that she came from the wrong side of the track. Well, she didn't come from the wrong side of the track. Not originally, I think, but... You know, I don't know. I don't know why that's so important, but I guess really, I guess more than anything, what's important to me is that people know that she she wasn't all alone, and she wasn't in foster care her entire life without ever having anybody to care about her. She spent a lot of time in foster care. She was on foster care before she came to live with us. She was on foster care for a short time, even, you know, after my mom had come um, back to Sedalia because she she was pretty out of control at that point from what my mom told me. I wasn't 
Um, I wasn't around at that point. Um, but she was ours. And she did have people who loved her and who looked out for her. And I just, you know, this idea that's been kind of tossed around that no one cared about her, it's just not true. So we're going to let that sink in a little bit. I know we normally talk about the interview, but I think this time I want to let it sink in with you guys. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. And we said last week that we would discuss some articles. Yeah. So we have articles here that we want to read to you and discuss them. All right. The first article is from Thursday, October 23rd of 2008. Headline reads, Search Yields No Clues. And we'll take pictures and we'll post this. Police officers check areas in around Sedalia. This is from the Sedalia Democrat by Sarah Nail. About 10 officers were unable to find clues in the disappearance of Dana Bruce in a search of several areas in and around Sedalia Wednesday. The officers from the Sedalia Police Department's Detective, Community Policing, and Reserve Divisions used four-wheelers in their search of about four areas. The department's canine, Demo, also assisted. Demo is trained to track scents. Bruce was reported missing October 5th. She had gone out to a bar October 4th and was last seen leaving with a man. Bruce returned to the babysitter to give her money to watch her children ages 3 and 2, for the rest of the evening. She has yet to return home. We aren't searching for anything in particular, said Commander Cindy Harrell. Officers concentrated on four areas around Main Street, US-65 near the Katy Trail, near Pro Energy, and West 32nd Street near the Katy Trail. Harrell said it was a second sweep of some of the areas. Some of the places were selected because of calls about foul odors, Harold said. Meanwhile, two funds have been established to raise money so that a reward can be offered for information leading to the whereabouts of Bruce. And that's where I'll stop at that one. But this article I find interesting because they did search quite a few areas. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have contacted us. And asked us, well, did they search the Katy Trail? Did they search the Katy Trail? It says here they did. And just to give you an idea of how big the Katy Trail is. I mean, it goes from St. Charles, which is about a half hour away from us. 27 miles from St. Louis. To Clinton, Missouri. So the Katy Trail is 225 miles. (laughs) It is a large area to search. And they did use the canine dog. But it says here that no no signs were, you know, were found. Yeah. So that's that article, and we'll post pictures. The second article I want to discuss is from the Sedalia Democrat again. This one is actually from November 9th, 2008. Headline reads, Police go all out to find missing woman. And here's what I found interesting. Authorities spent more than 1,400 hours working on case so far. So I'll read it. So just over a month. Yeah. So officers have spent more than 1,400 hours working on the case of a missing Sedalia woman at a cost of more than $34,500 for wages and other expenses. 
This is probably one of the most intensive investigations I've seen in 25 years unrelated to a crime, said Commander Cindy Harold. Um, another part of this article I found interesting was that it says here that three divers and four investigators spent several days last week searching three water quarries and two rock quarries. So I found that interesting. So, you know, these were some of the places that they they searched. And we'll post a picture of this and... The other article. The other article. I mean, you know, it seems like reading these articles, it's... It seems like while people didn't think the police did everything that they could, that they didn't do enough searches. I mean, it, it's it's not a, a small feat to get how many... Three divers? Three di- yeah, it says three divers and four investigators. I mean, like, that's a big thing. That's a big deal. Yeah, and you know, and the, you know, water quarries and two rock quarries, those are huge. Yeah. I mean, and then you have, you know, just the number of hours, 1,400 hours. Yeah, I mean, they, they really did, did search. They, they did, and, uh. I think that they were limited because, I, you know, Sedata doesn't have the biggest police force. Yeah. And you have to also stop and think, there was still crime going on in Sedalia. So they're combating current crime going on while trying to look for a missing woman. And that's taking resources off the streets to look for, you know, to look for Dana, which they, they gladly did. And that's their job, but I mean, they did—they did spend quite a few man hours doing this. So we'll post this article as well. It's, this is also the article that we talked about. Was it last episode or the episode? I before? think it was two episodes um, ago. Yeah. So this is the article we talked about two episodes ago, where they gave a timeline, and it says. You want sorry. me to hear? You can read it. I'll let you read that one. <laughs> it's the timeline that discusses Malone's on Main, went to another bar, the person of interest, and that also says his truck is not red. So this is coming from that article. Yeah. So this article did provide a lot of information to us. And I don't know why the why a lot of people put a lot of stock into the fact that this person of interest might have done it because it says right here that his truck is not red. Exactly. And I think that's why we made a big deal about it, you know, because it's like, okay, so why is he still a person of interest then? You know, if, if, they, if you questioned him and... I mean, obviously, he did, they didn't find anything that they could arrest him for anything or take him in for anything, so... Maybe that's a question for the police, then. Yeah. Okay, well, I will jot that one down as well. We are coming to uh, that point in our podcast that we are going to start to reach out to the police department and see if, because uh, we have a lot of questions, a lot of listeners have questions, and we're going to ask them. So, but we'll post these two articles and. We will continue to work on this while we stay warm. <laughs> Definitely.
so for now we're gonna uh, go ahead and let you go let it sink in check out the Facebook page check out the discussion on the post specifically about Dana the one about the article the blog post that Sonova wrote definitely check that one out there were a few other posts if you go back and look that had some discussion on that also real quick just a reminder the views expressed in these interviews are not the views of Missing in Missouri and it is the views of the people that we are speaking to I'm Zach I'm Morgan and this is Missing Missouri.